Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the mighty, modern, and magnanimous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Busy, 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 Christopher. Busy, 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 like we always are, but we always have time. We can always take an hour out of our lives to talk D&D. I love talking D&D with you. It's like one of my favorite things. I really enjoy it as well. All right. Well, we're going to talk about challenge levels today, and if that matters, like from the point of view of the writing running adventures from the characters-centric uh, thing or from the world-centric thing, and we'll talk more about that later. But first, let's do some news and announcements. What is the first thing? There's uh, something to do with crayons and colored pencils and whatnot? Yeah. we've At Encoded Designs, we've talked about coloring books before because we have a lot of great art at our disposal. And that discussion came to uh, a head when I noticed that they have a D&D coloring book that will be coming out soon with world-renowned artist Todd James. The book is called D&D Adventurers Outlined, and it looks like a pretty neat little uh, product, especially if you enjoy coloring or if you have children who enjoy coloring. I agree, and it's uh, $17. It'll be out. Uh, it's already out, actually. It should be out as of when you've heard this, so that's a thing. Yep. It's funny how that works. I know, right? <laughs> podcasting. Even if even if we weren't podcasting in linear time, like if we were podcasting in linear time, you're hearing this when we recorded it, it would still be out because it came out on the 21st and recording this on the 22nd. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, let's talk about the second thing. Uh, update on the changes to the Adventures League rules plus Eberron. So, uh, Sean, what do you know about this? What I know about this is within the last couple of days, they have reissued the changes that will be coming to the Adventurers League play. And so if you are an Adventurers League player, you're going to want to go to the link in our show notes, which is on the Wizards website. It's the same site as was originally there, but they've just updated the text to give the final version of what the new rules will be. And it's very similar to what they had before. Um, you know, it, you're, rather than getting experience points, you will get... Uh, checkpoints to gain levels for each level for each hour that you play you receive one checkpoint so if you run a or play a four-hour adventure you will receive four checkpoints to go up from level one two three and four is four checkpoints every other level are eight checkpoints so you'll be leveling quickly at that first tier and then every eight hours essentially from there on in one change they did make was if you do not complete certain tasks, you may be penalized checkpoints. So you can't just sit in the tavern and role play for four hours and not complete the tasks. Because if you do so, you will not receive any of the experience or rewards for it. Which is interesting, right? I think that's kind yeah. of fascinating. Yep. And they also released the first version of the player's guide and the DM's guide for Eberron play. One of the questions that we had when we talked about it last week was, will the uh, will the book that went up, the Wayfarer's Guide, be the plus one that you can use? The answer is kind of. You can use uh, the Player's Handbook, the Wayfarer's Guide, 
and Xanathar's Guide. So all of those are viable sources for your player content. And those are the only three books that you can use? Those are the only three books that you can use. I like it. I'm okay with yep. that. Yep. It gives you a little bit more than a plus one, but it also helps keep the Eberron flavor. Uh, the other question was, can characters go back and forth between the Forgotten Realms AL campaign and the Eberron AL campaign? And the answer is no. You create a character in one or the other campaign, and you must stay in that campaign. I love and it. And not in this document, but elsewhere, people had a question about, can you trade magic items between those characters? And the answer to that is no as well. They are completely separate, walled-off campaigns. I'm so into this. I can't wait to yep. start running it and playing it. I'm probably just going to run it all. I am very excited about it as well. So the first version of those documents are up at, on the same site, uh, on the wizard site. We have a link in, in our show notes to it. You can download those, give them a read over, and let us know what you think. Yay! It's so good. Mm -hmm. So much fun. Yay. Play Eberron! Woo! I mean, if you can't hear it in my voice, I'm excited. <clears throat> I am excited. I, I don't... Usually you can't hear the excitement in my voice, but I am also excited about it. Okay, let's do the third thing. The Moonshay Isles Regional Guide is an Electrum bestseller. So that's really cool. That means it's sold uh, over 250 copies, right? Yep, it's well on its way to gold. But I wanted to let people know, because I've had a lot of questions about it. Uh, yes, it is Adventures League legal. There is player content in there, but there are no uh, like uh, subclasses or anything like that. It's just the backgrounds. The player options are trinkets um, and new factions and new backgrounds. So if you haven't heard about the product yet, it is a very well done, in terms of not just content, but in terms of layout, guide to playing in the Moonshade Isles. There's a forward by Douglas Niles who created the Moonshade Isles and wrote the first books, novels, in, in the Forgotten Realms setting set in the Moonshade Isles. Um, there's an overview of the history, culture, and power and deities of the Moonshade Isles. There's a tour of many of the islands, um, new player options like names, trinkets, and backgrounds, new player organizations that your characters can join. Uh, Mike Schley's beautiful map of the Moonshays, and then a an adventure log sheet. So if you're playing this for Adventures League, which it will be all the adventures will be Adventures League legal, uh, you can use this specially themed Moonshay Isles log sheet. And then the next question I had was, how about the adventures? When are they coming out? The adventures. The plan right now is to have the adventures come out throughout the fall. Um, the first one being Moonshay Treasure Hunt which is for Tier 1 characters. It contains four different two-hour adventures that you can play in the Moonshay Isles, and each of those adventures gives you a brief introduction into one of the uh, storylines of the first four trilogies that we're going to release. So probably in late September, I'm hoping, that first one will be out. I'm editing it right now, and then it will go into layout. And after that is released, we will start releasing all the trilogies, um, probably a month at a time. Very cool. Um, here's the thing. If people would like to hear us go over the Moonshay Isles Regional Guide, uh, go to our Download D&D &D Plus community and ATIG Plus community. And if you want us to do that, if, uh, if a bunch of you let us know that you want us to do that, then we will. I'll let you control the show for once, you folks out there. If you want to hear that, we'll talk about it. We'll go over the organizations. We'll go over the um, the islands and the moonshays. We'll talk about the moonshays for 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 a week or two. Oh, it's a yeah. I really like the moonshay isles, so you know. 
Yep, we could definitely talk about that for 45 minutes without breaking a sweat. Mm-hmm. All right. Next thing, uh, issue 21 of Dragon Plus. So what are the things that you want to touch on? Because, I mean, there's always your article that's in there about highlighting things in the DMs Guild, which, you know, you talked about uh, a local Jen Adcox uh, adventure uh, for kids. Yeah. And um, you spotlighted that, uh, I think it was uh, an Eberron adventure that Lisa Chen and Will Doyle wrote. It's a Waterdeep adventure. Waterdeep adventure. Yes. That's what it is. Yep. Yes. Rats of Waterdeep. Yeah, so so the issue itself covered two topics, and I like how they're starting to focus on different topics. The two topics within this episode were playing D&D with kids mm-hmm. and then urban adventures since we have Dragon Heist coming. It's so neat. Um, and they do a great job of covering both of those topics um, with the different articles. As, as you mentioned, Chris, I do, in my uh, Best of the DMs Guild, focus specifically on some uh, content for kids and then content that highlights urban areas. Um, there is Gene Lorber's um, Tavern Brawls product, which is you know a fun way to run different sorts of tavern brawls. Mm-hmm. So that that's also highlighted. But the, the one article that really uh, I was glad to see was something that they're calling In the Works, which takes a, a pretty good look at all the products coming out from Wizards. So they do talk about Dragon Heist uh, and giving you know, some background on where that is and, and how it's coming along. But they also talk about the, the coloring book we just mentioned. Uh, they have kids' books called The 123s of D&D and The ABCs of D&D, which are mm-hmm. kids' books teaching numbers and, and letters through, through D&D. There then there's also are, the – they talk about a lot of stuff, oh, actually, right? Yeah. Like the Endless Quest books, more of them. Exactly. The new, the new, uh, all, all the new stuff, really. They just cover it all. Yeah, but sometimes I only focus on, you know, the D&D game products and not the, the, the sort of ancillary things. So I was excited to, to see those books, the, uh, the Endless Quest books. My favorite um, article in this month's Dragon Plus was the, the With Age Comes Wisdom, DM Ruth Robertson, a 71-year-old yep. uh, woman who runs, who streams games. Yep. That's pretty cool. Crone's that Crucible is, cool. is the name of the live stream. It's good stuff. Yep. And there's even a, uh, there's one about the minions from from the movie. Yeah, yeah. And how they're sort of like in the same realm as like, or their their history is uh, akin to orcs in some way, shape, or form. Right. Yeah. They had the director of minions too talking about them. So yeah. I, I thought that was that was pretty cool as well. So it was a, overall a very good uh a good issue, I think. Yeah, this board game that's in there too, Vault of Dragons. Like, I'm really mm-hmm. curious as to, to that, but I like, I really love board games, so you know. Yep. Yeah. So Anyways, you should check it out. It's a really stuff. good issue of Dragon Plus. Yep. Lots of news and lots of cool stuff coming. Mm-hmm. All right, let us move on to our main topic for the evening or the afternoon, I suppose. Challenge levels. We're going to pose a question today: Does the world bend to the player characters, or do the player characters have to bend to the world? We're going to look at this in terms of camping styles, play styles, and counter difficulty and other topics. But first, we should start with some definitions. Sean, what is our first definition? Well, I think we need to talk about what it means by having the world bend to the players or the players bend to the world. Let's do it. So, okay, we'll start with if you have a game world that is bending to the PCs, what does that mean? And I think it means a few things. Mm -hmm. It means that... As a DM, the challenges that you present to your characters are generally ones that they have a reasonable chance of handling. You're not throwing things at them that are too way overpowered that they're going to die in one round. Um, 
or by the same token, you're not going to throw things at them that are way underpowered, especially if you have players that love the tactical challenge, because then they're just going to get bored. So when you talk about a, a game world that is bending to the PCs, that's one thing you're talking about. You're talking about the challenge rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're also talking about how you as the DM are handling the world. Um, in, in, a, in a game world that bends to the PCs, there's not a lot happening offstage. Um, it's usually not taken into account because you're so focused on the PCs and, and what they're doing and how they're affecting the world that the world itself tends to get forgotten unless the PCs are directly interacting with it. I would agree and, with that. Yep, and finally, when you run a uh, when you run a a game where the world bends to the PCs, it's more likely that you're running a linear campaign. It's not necessarily the case, but most of the time it's the case. So you are writing an adventure where you can envision where the PCs are going, and uh, even if they go a little bit off script, you are making sure that the world is going to follow them wherever they go and you're not going to do anything that that strays from that. All of this is true, in in my opinion. Uh, Feel free to disagree with us, you know, on our G Plus community. And why don't you do the other one, when the uh, game world has the PCs that just exist and the world does not bend to them. Sure. So the challenges themselves are not necessarily scaled to the player character's current power level. So you could be fourth level, and you could run into a blue dragon on the road. It could just show up and, and, you know, have an encounter with you and survive. Try try and survive. That's just kind of how that goes. Um, events tend to happen without PC interference. Plots will unfold, and NPCs have stories outside of the PC's interference or interaction. So things happen. Like, oh, look, there was an earthquake over here, and that person that you used to know died, and it, you had nothing to do with it. It's They're just gone now. Or, you know, their daughter was greatly injured, or their son was greatly injured, and, you know, they're... Uh, their morning or whatnot, you know, these things can just happen. Um, these kinds of games, they tend to be sandboxy or hex crawls or ha- have a, a lot of non-linear stuff to them. But it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, you, there's there's actually ways to design that stuff where it is sort of a linear-esque or I would call it um, point crawl-esque instead of being uh, sandboxy. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't uh, – so it can, it can go a lot of different ways, but they tend to be more more sandboxy. And now these, what we're describing here are two poles, right? Yes. Of a sphere. And not not many things are going to be just one or just the other. Everything no, they'll move be, back and forth. Yeah. There's usually yeah. something that will land in the middle. Yeah. But, and, and people can have a preference, right? You can like a game where, as, the, as a player, where everything is all about you. Or you can like a game where you never know what's going to happen. You might stumble into the wrong place at the wrong time and just get totally wiped wiped out, and that's that's okay. Hey, man, hex crawls that have random rolls in them and whatnot, that, that's exactly, like, to, to generate what happens in the hex, that, that is exactly what they're what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's the point. That's yeah. the point. And neither of these are good or bad in and of themselves. I agree. Um, it's just, it's about preference. Yeah, I love but, all of these different kinds of play styles. Yep. But there are good and bad ways to run them, and there are good and bad ways to consume them as a player. Yeah. Presentation so that's what, is a thing, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's what we're going to talk about next is if you're going to run games one way or another, things to be aware of or look out for. Mm-hmm.
All right, so our first uh, thing that we're going to look at, like, should should the Dungeon Master present challenges and situations of a commensurate level and ability of the PCs, or should the world exist as it does and the PCs deal with it? And like we just said, both ways are acceptable. So let's really talk about the PC-centric way. Like, what is going on with being, with with crafting your campaign, your games around your player characters? So mm-hmm. if your player characters are the center point of the campaign and the, the shared narrative, um, one, there is going to be a less emergent quality to the game and it's going to feel more like a tv series a novel a movie a role-playing video game or a typical story in play because that is the kind of the point of what you're going for there uh this this linear-esque play of course there will be things that the players can choose to do that will alter that narrative going forward but it will not be nearly it will not feel nearly as random or as like the world is a chaotic place as a as as the more world-centric play it'll be very much a story. It'll feel like a story because everybody will be sort of pushing towards that story with the player characters being the center point of the story. Mm-hmm. Now you have to be careful as the DM if you do establish this PC-centric sort of campaign. Because if you if you do that, you are saying to the player, you're making a social contract, right? You are saying in this social contract of this game we've made, I am always going to make sure that you have a fighting chance, that you are the center of the story, Etc. So if you do this, and then all of a sudden the the players wander off in this one direction, and they stumble onto, you know, uh, a demon lord at third level, and you just totally wipe them out, you've broken that social contract that you've established. There are different ways to handle it, but just to say, well, you entered that, you know, you entered that cave, and you shouldn't have, so that's what happened. that's breaking the social contract of that PC-centric game that you've established throughout the beginning of the campaign. I mean, I so, want to know how that... So so I love your example, right? Because, like, I can see that happening in some game, but, like, I want to know what, how that happened when your game is about PC-centricness, right? Like, right. why did they wander off into a cave where there was a demon lord? Why was the demon lord there? What were you doing, game master? <laughs> what were you right. thinking? Right, Exactly. Uh, exactly. So, you know, in a PC-centric game, you can't give them those clues and then be astounded and astonished and upset when they follow them. <laughs> right. Um, or if you do, you have to give plenty of warning that what you're about to do is beyond your ken, and doing so could have very drastic consequences. If the player characters then ignore that, and do it anyway, then you're, you're not really breaking the social contract because you've said what well, you guys are the center of the story and you know what the consequences are going to be. You chose to do it anyway. So I am just following through on the consequences of your informed actions. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yep. Uh, we want to go after that. Do you want to, well, you want to I, I want to talk pro- about, want to talk about I, for well, a second. Um, what I wanted to talk about just for a second is Something like the Adventurers League is definitely a PC-centric campaign. Because oh, that's interesting, because I always it, think that it's not. <laughs> but but it is in the sense that it's linear, and there are scaling mechanisms right within an adventure to say if the PCs are you know a weak party with very few members, the world changes to accommodate them. Uh, yeah, I guess that would be them, wouldn't it? Right. So... Uh, in, in that sense, it is very, very much a PC centric because you're you're only focused on those PCs. You're not really worried about anything else going on in the world. 
That yeah, because sense? the world actually the world doesn't actually change at all. Um, although the in the individual adventure, the world doesn't change. Like it's an interesting because we we're talking about how it scale uh, that uh, that that not not scale as in like scaling the adventure, but scale as in like on the on the path where adventurers lead players because. Right. While it's sur- these adventures surround the PCs as where as the world will change around them, the stories themselves don't care about the PCs in a lot of ways, right? Like, they're just there to right. be problem solvers. But the ongoing right. narrative doesn't give a damn what they do. Right. And and that's why there is kind of this – it's a kind of a two-tiered thing that we're talking about because we're talking about adventures and um, you know, mechanics changing to to accommodate the PCs individually – but mm-hmm. we're also talking about the larger scope narrative world view, um, you know. So it's it's a it's a two tiered discussion. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And you can have it be um, PC centric at one and world centric at the other. True. Or story centric. Maybe world centric is yep. the wrong the wrong word in some in some cases, right? Like I think world centric is perfectly fine for what we're talking about, but story centric could be another thing too, another level, yeah. right? True. Yeah. Uh, for these kinds of situations, it seems that more specific adventure prep is needed ahead of time. Usually, uh, it's harder. I mean, you can improvise more stuff off of this. You can have some emergent things happen with this, but they really should be tied pretty close to your player characters. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You need to know what the characters want to do next so you can create the adventure that specifically fits what they want to do and their power level at the time. So, you know, th- this PC centric is very much creating a linear adventure. And again, you don't, it's not all that, but it's mostly what you see when you talk about a PC centric campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about world centric now. So when you have a world centric game, the world, the setting it's a place for the PCs to explore and discover. And I, I shouldn't use world, I should use setting, because a setting can be a smaller space, right, than, than the world, we're using the world in, the, in, that, in that sense. True. Um, the ongoing story of, of the setting is, is often something they might get involved in by choosing to do so, but when you have the setting presented as the place to be dealt with instead of the PCs being the central focus of whatever is going on, then the PCs have a lot more freedom to engage with whatever elements of the world or the setting that they find fascinating. Mm-hmm. That seem seem about right. Yeah, yeah, and and by doing that, now when we talk about prep, the prep is less focused on specific adventure creation and more on creating this setting or this world, mm-hmm. and then f- being ready to be agile and move in different directions based on where the PCs want to go. Yeah. So, so you know, you can give them in a in a linear campaign. You're saying, okay, the the problem is this specific problem your goal is this go with a with a world centric you are saying here are these 12 different sites where things are happening here are the few things you've learned about each where do you want to go mm-hmm. what do you want to do so you've got to then be a, the prep is rather than creating a linear adventure the prep is being ready to be agile when they choose which way to go yeah. and then figuring out Based on that, what's happening in those eleven other locations that they didn't go to? Mm-hmm. That's um, and, and there's a bunch of ways that that you can do that. Like the uh, the the player centric side of it is a lot of uh, what we would consider, I suppose, traditional adventure writing. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you agree with that? Sure. 
Yeah. Whereas this this world centric idea, um, you see a lot of it actually in the OSR uh, communities. It's about um, like being able to generate elements on the fly, or having a bunch of elements that you can pull from on the fly to create whatever you need to at the time, or having these. You know, that's that's pretty much how it goes. Like, oh look, there's a monolith over here in this one hex. Uh, let me roll some dice. Oh, yep, there's a there's a greater demon lord that's stuck inside the monolith, and there's a bunch of uh, cultists here that are trying to break him out. Because I rolled yep. I rolled twenty seven on my D one hundred chart. D- yep, there you go. And as a DM, you can always adjust that a bit. But if you roll that double zero and there's a demon lord there. There's a double zero, and the demon lord is there, and the world is not going to change because your PCs are low level. Yeah, right. Like it's and it's all about how you want to um, play your game, right? Like if yeah. you want to be the game master, dungeon master that decides, like, eh, I didn't like that role, you can re-roll, or you can be like, well, I'm just going to play it straight. Whatever mm-hmm. I roll is what happens. Yep. Um, it's interesting. Like I, I love that kind of stuff too. Like I like both a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and I think most players, especially players who have started playing recently are more used to a PC-centric kind of campaign. You know, they're used to the DM taking their level, their interests, their, uh, you know, the the stories that they bring into mind as they create or uh, change the published content that they're using. Yeah, I would, um, I think that's the more common one because it's the one that's closer to the kind of storytelling that we're all used to, mm-hmm. if that makes any yeah. sense. Sure. This, this emergent idea of storytelling in is a uh, it's it's kind of unique to role playing games in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that I would say that's true. I'm trying to think of any other sort of yeah, I I, I would say so. Like, because that that exploration of dungeons and being able to go whichever way you want to, and like having this these stories about going into these larger spaces and the things that you did could be different from somebody else who went into these larger spaces and did different things. Like, I think that is a, that is a fairly unique to role playing games idea. And it's really cool, right? Like that, like that's how we ended up having all those different stories from like the temple of elemental evil and such. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and, very true. And castle Greyhawk. Um, which, so, which something is actually, I mean, I love me some adventure paths from pathfinder. Like, I know I just said Pathfinder on the, on a down with D and D show, but uh, okay. like the adventure paths were were really good stories. Like they mm-hmm. told some really amazing things that were very in a lot of ways PC centric. Like here's your PC, go get get into the adventure and play through all these adventures, which are basically like little tier areas that you could play through an adventure and level from like one to four, and then four to eight, and then eight to twelve. You know, like that or mm-hmm. whatever it was. They're they're yeah. different for different ones. Yep. Um. And that's just to cite two different kind of versions of what we're talking about. Because I think, I think some examples always help, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's move on to, to another question. Like, does this matter? And I think we already answered that yes. It, it totally matters. But why does this matter? Why do these things matter? Um, and I think it's because they create different play styles and they create different experiences of play. So we can play different ga- kinds of games with the same rule sets, right? Mm-hmm. With True. just some slight yep. modifications. Um, do you want to do world-centric or player-centric? Well, I'll do world-centric. Uh, as as we've talked about, there's a more emergent quality to the play there. Um, so you, it's more challenging in a way, both as a player of a mechanical game and as a contributor to a group story because it's more... Um, it's... It's more 
Oh, there's a word. Well, this this game, uh, if if I'm going to reference like the layer section of Misdirected Mark, um, this mm-hmm. game is more about create creating the setting, creating the story together, right? Like because there, you're not given necessarily goals. You have to go out and make your own goals. Yep, yep. It, that's what I was saying. It's contingent on you. Yeah. To to give that input to help the DM move you in the direction that you want to go. Mm-hmm. You have to be a little bit more proactive rather than just getting a hook and then following that hook. Yeah, because that's not really necessarily the thing, right? Like, there isn't a hook to go follow. There's usually like, well, here's some leads. Go do what you want to do with the leads that you've just been given. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so because of that, like, you can pick and choose to interact with what you want to interact with and not interact with certain things. It's uh, It's rather interesting, and it doesn't... Because of the proactivity, right? Like, a, a lot of times, um, you can you can often find yourself getting more attached to that kind of play because you've had a lot more to do with how things proceed forward. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's a lot of tricks to do that the other way too for the player centric, and I guess we should talk about player centric, right? So, with player centric, the story tends to revolve around the players, so the play is often more focused, as we talked about that that like linear ish type play. And these stories, they often have to do with the characters and their backgrounds being pushed on, whatever they've brought to the table. And these games do often have a more deterministic quality of play. Like, if there's a demon lord or a demon king out there that's running the world and the whole idea of the campaign is to overthrow the demon king, then you kind of know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the other kind of play, that might not be a real thing, right? Like, that might just be like, oh, look, here's some, here's some wilderness. Go explore. So that that's the difference between I think a player centric and a world centric or setting centric uh, campaign. It's very true. And one other thing I just I just thought of is, you know, when we talk about playing to find out what happens, there are even then there are different ways to do that because some people say, you know, I want to play to find out what happens, but what they're really talking about is I want to play to roll the d twenty to find out if I hit with my sword. Whereas there's also playing to find out what happens on a much higher story sort of level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's both, both are playing the game to find out what happens, but there's different scopes involved. That's um, true. Some of it's w- like, with, what is going on with my character? And someone's like, what's around the next corner of, of this, of the mountain? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Mm-hmm. And some of that is like, well, the game master, dungeon master knows what's going on with my character. And I'm trying to find that out. And, the other one is like, well, the dice are going to tell me what happens, mm-hmm. right? They're, it's weird how they're similar, but they have very different feels to them. They do. You know, if you, I, since Chris and I have been playing for a while and have played different games, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard, to, it's hard to describe this kind of world-centric type of game and what it can bring because people don't have any frame of reference for it. Yeah, uh, it, that's why I try to use the idea of the hex crawl and, mm-hmm. and rolling random dice to figure out what is in the next hex, because that is a very emergent play style, because nobody knows what's going to happen next, right? Not even The game master, dungeon master doesn't know, the players don't know, nobody really knows. Uh, when you're playing more um, story-based stuff, like like you, you're playing, well, here, for, for example, you're playing a character called a dust man, uh, or dust person, who... Uh, they're they're warlocks essentially, but they don't know why they got their powers. 
but the dungeon master knows why you have your powers and eventually at some point in the story we're going to reveal that to you it's like uh and that's the thing like there's going to be reveals there's going to be things that you find out that the dungeon master is holding on to these secrets that you get to find out through playing through these stories Mm-hmm. And that could be with anything, too. That doesn't have to be necessarily character-centric. It could be um, stuff that's going on in the world, too. Like, oh, Curse of the Crimson Throne. Like, oh, look, these cursed artifacts are really the spirit of a... I'm not going to spoil it. No, I'm going to spoil it. It's been, like, years and years. Like, these cursed artifacts are holding the spirit of, like, an ancient blue dragon that wants to rule over Cor- Corvosa. Like, there you go. That's what's going on. Yep. Like, you'll reveal that through the course of play. And that is not even player-character-centric, right? That is That is story-centric, but it is deterministic it is not right. emergent yep and and so it it matters also since we're on doesn't matter it also matters because if you move these levers of player centric versus world centric up and down you are creating a different feel uh, for the players you're creating a different amount of workload for yourself as the dm um mm-hmm. so you know experimenting with these different styles and and um you know, using random tables at some points, but then using a more linear adventure at other points can let you experiment and see if your players like it more when the world doesn't care who they are or what they do uh, versus keeping it a very strict and straight A to B story of, you know, of these five heroes who go and do their thing. Yeah. And now that we've sort of touched on this gigantic, huge, by the way, the show, this is like a huge, gigantic topic. When you threw it up there, I'm like, we're going to have a hard time doing this in like 30 minutes. It's true. Um, this this idea of world-centric and player-centric, which goes into this idea, these ideas of like emergent and deterministic and um, where is your choices and what are the choices doing and who's making the choices. Like all of that stuff changes how play feels at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we've kind of talked in a very high level about that. If people want to hear more about that, please let us know, and we'll talk more about some of those intricate parts. Uh, let's talk about 5th edition D&D specifically, and what does that game push as an ideology based on the text of the books and the mechanics of the game. So, I think what based do you think, Chris? on the mechanics of the game, that with the idea of tiers of play, with the leveling system, with challenge rating and encounter building... This game is intended to be played with the PCs as the measuring stick for the kinds of challenges and problems that they should be dealing with. Like yep. those those pieces right there push the game towards like you should probably design stuff in and around the player characters and not make a world that is going to going to not care about where they're at. Now that's not I'm not saying that you can't play the game that way. I'm saying in my opinion that's what the game is intending. Yep. And I agree with you to the point where all those things point the game in that direction. However, I think that all the editions of D&D, as well as 5th edition, if if you think of the game as a person, uh, this person doesn't know what it wants to be. Um, it wants to be all things to all people, so it hedges its bets. Um, you know, it, it has challenge ratings on monsters, and it has encounter-building numbers, and it has the tiers of play, and so on. Um, but then... Uh, it says to the DM, break the rules. Um, it, it, it's a resource management game at its heart, but then the designers say, well, it's not a resource management game, it's a storytelling game. Um, published adventures will fluctuate wildly in, in how they're presented. You'll get one adventure that's super linear, and then you get another adventure that... Um, looks like it might be linear but it's really not and so it's requiring the dm 
to make that choice of whether to be world centric or uh, character centric. Think of think of Tomb of Annihilation, right? It's you start in Port Nianzaru if you so choose, but there's no linear adventure that leads them straight to Omu where they can get into the heart of the adventure. It's here are the, all these various sites or encounters that you can have, but it's not presented in a way that that says the best path forward is this way. So it's it's making the DM choose how to get there, and therefore the DM can do whatever they want. They can make it a world-centric game where if you happen to stumble you know, on, into the band of roving undead going through the jungles of Cholt, uh, or you know, run into the, the dinosaur that vomits forth uh, zombies at, at third level, uh, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble. Uh, I agree with you, actually. Um, I, mine was basically looking at mechanics, but you're right. The way that they present this game and the way that they have released adventures, which if we look at, at how we're supposed to run D&D, it's often we look at the adventures uh, and how they're presented. And they are disparate and wide-ranging. And that leads to the uh, idea of the modularity of D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I said you can probably play it, you can play it the other way with a little bit of work. Because there's a bunch of modules in the game that you can utilize to do that kind of stuff. Like, there's, I think there's random encounter tables in the Dungeon Master's Guide, if I remember correctly. So, like, there you can have a hex always, crawl. Yeah. You can play this yep. game as a hex crawl. Yep. Um, you can even, like get outside of the whole challenge or anything and make some tables yourself that, like, you know, have you at fourth level walking down the road in Barovia and run into a vampire mm-hmm. named Strahd Von Zorovich. Yeah, I mean, that that that's a good example of an adventure that could be run as a world-centric. It, it's, you are there, you better be very, very careful about what you do and how you do it because at low levels, you could be wiped out in a heartbeat. Easily, very easily. Oh, my God. Barovia is a very, very not nice place. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that's really all. I mean, I'm with you, right? Like, I think the mechanics are trying to say a thing, but the core me- mechanisms of the game, but I think the text is doing exactly what you're saying, and then the secondary and ancillary mechanics of the game are doing what you're saying. Like, it's, it can be any of these things. I just think it's a lot easier to do it the first way than it is to do the other way, but that's just me. Yeah. I don't have too much to add other than that. Yeah, I think that's our show then. You, you good? good? I'm good. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Like I said, if you want to hear us talk about this topic some more or some of the subtopics that we sort of raised within this, let us know in our G Plus community. That's the place to go. Or you can, you know, be a patron and just talk to us directly because if you're at $4 or higher, you get into the Slack room, which we'll talk about in a second. But first, some Patreon shout-outs. It is the, the royal court of Misdirected Mark. Craig, just Craig, the Lord of One Name. Stephen Farrell, the Knight of Layers. Eric Bonds, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness. Sean Gilgore, the Knight of All Edges. Eric Jeppesen, the Lord of Endurance. Palladian, the Duke of the Darkest Sun. Also one of the hosts of Bones and Obsidian. Uh, Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dice. Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Thomas Bagley, the Royal Baker. Scott Ryder, the Queen's Messenger. P.K. Sullivan, the Royal Rocketeer. Time Paradox, the Court Painter. John C. LeMay, the Guard at the End of the World. John Carney, the Court Necromancer, also known as Evil John. Robert Dorgan, the Dragon Lord of Down with D&D. Jared Rasher, the Scribe of Misdirected Mark. Uh, Christopher Gray, the Spymaster of Misdirected Mark. Mike Dinos, the Inquisitor of Mark. Jesse Edmund, the Royal Doctor. Donnie Harville, the Lord of the Slack Room. Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic. Oh, there's more. Holy Lord. Andy Olson, the Duke of Dimensional Paradox. Merrick Blackman, the Royal D&D Reviewer, who's been writing some pretty good reviews lately. Yes, he has. Yeah, he's killing it. Uh, Rob Ebersano, the Gauntlet of the Queen. GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show. Toby Sennett, the Baron of Britannia. And Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. 
Thank you so much for being our patrons. Uh, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you have access to our Slack room for life. Mm-hmm. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review or a review anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. Because all of those reviews, especially via Apple Podcast, help us become more visible. Because uh, Apple Podcast is used by other podcatchers as their way to rate and rank shows. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, share us on Twitter or on G+, yeah. or on Facebook, like or too. wherever. Yes, please. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Dowin DDG Plus community. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark on Twitter. That's the show uh, and the network. And, you know, I use it all the time, too. Or you can go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one by our illustrious editor, Doc Palindrome. Doc finds the best, the brightest, and the most fun game designers to sit down and have a cool chat with them in the lounge. You never know what conversation is going to come up in the lounge. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Sean, Mr. Mad Wizard Merlin himself, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. We said things. We said lots of things.